We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Cooley's with me uh, today. Uh, Maryland lost last night. Um, So for all of you who love to um, come back at me when I say bad night for those that want Turgeon fired, um, yeah, last night for those of you who want him fired, it was a good night for you. Many of you are fans, and I think it's interesting that you find some of these painful losses very delicious in your own way. Uh, You're so sensitive to this. I am, um, no doubt. I don't know why. You're so sensitive. Why do you care what the... 19 people who troll you say it's not it's not 19 it's if it were just the 19 people that i ignore on twitter all the time i would it would be another ignoring situation there is no doubt that this fan base right now is split on mark turgeon and i would say half of it if not more than half of it Cooley, wants turgeon gone and it's my belief that that would be a mistake. Now, I'm open to having the dialogue about it. I just need to know who it is you're going to replace him with. Because a lot of the people that um, the anti-Turgeon people think would be so interested or so gettable are not gettable. Chris Beard's not gettable. He makes $4.5 million at, at, Texas, at Texas Tech. Maryland doesn't have that budget. Um, John Beeline is, you know, 70 years old or whatever he is. Uh, he's a great coach. Don't get me wrong. A phenomenal coach. And yeah, I think he's a better coach than Turgeon. Nate Oates is not leaving Alabama after one season. Not going to happen. I don't want Thad Mata. I think Eric Musselman has always been one of the very, very good coaches wherever he's been. He's doing a phenomenal job at Arkansas. Is Maryland a better job than Arkansas? I believe it is. And it's in a better conference in the Big Ten. Would he take the job? He might. He might take the job. Um, Arkansas, by the way, is a big-time basketball school as well as a big-time football school. They've won a national championship there. They have tradition. That Bud Walton Arena and the Waltons and the Walmart people are really in to to Arkansas sports and that and that basketball program in particular. But anyway, yeah, I am. I I, I do get defensive when it comes to him and a little bit overprotective. But it hasn't stopped me, to be fair, in criticizing him when I believe he deserves to be criticized. I've done it in the past, and I'm going to do it you a little bit. You texted to him. I, I did. I texted him some ideas. Um, you know, you remember when we were, <laughs> we were going to start a business that helped people with social media and stuff? Right. 
if if we started that business right now for Turge, we'd get him some bots. <laughs> we'd get him some bots. <laughs> we'd get him some fake accounts. Yes. But you know what we wouldn't do? We wouldn't introduce and open up all of those Twitter bots on the same exact day. No, we do consecutive days for sure. We might be yeah, because because we're, we don't want to put a lot of effort into it. <clears throat> but anyway, we'll get to that story, um, which Tommy and I talked about. Um, but Cooley will have a chance to weigh in on all the Snyder stuff uh, as well. We are a week away from the beginning of that legal tampering period, which is really the beginning of free agency. You know, a week from today is the day that teams can begin entering into contract negotiations with players who are unrestricted free agents. Um, It's known as the legal tampering period. Yeah, the the period that always went on in the past, and they just decided (laughs) everyone's doing it illegally. Yeah, I don't... Let's just... You know what? Let's just legalize it. I don't really... Maybe you do. I don't understand the benefit of the two days prior to the official start of the league calendar and free agency when teams can make it official and players can actually sign these contracts that they've agreed to verbally. What is the point? Why not just start it on March 15th or, you know, and say, hey, it's going to start and we're not going to start it at midnight. It's going to start at a reasonable hour, beginning uh, you know, at 9 a.m. on Monday, March 15th. You can start you know, having negotiations with players. I don't know. It's so ridiculous because all these negotiations are just going through the agents who are just talking to the teams anyways. Uh, yeah, right. True. It's absurd. Someone explained it to me at one point over the last couple of years, and I was like, yeah, sure. But <laughs> aren't they just going to start talking earlier? So they can get it done earlier, right? Um, I don't know. I it, it's so funny to me because we've been talking about free agency and some of these contracts, and you keep asking me to watch Darnold and some of the stuff, and it's like it is. It used to be a huge deal for Washington. They, they haven't had any deal out of this in the last how many years? Well, Landon Collins was a big deal. I, Landon Collins got paid a lot of money. I yeah. guess, yeah. Um, well, they have, you know, right now after the Alex Smith release, they have the fourth or fifth most available cap space in the league. I, they could do some things. You're yeah. absolutely right. And last year they did swing big on Amari Cooper. But ultimately, I guess to your point, and I actually made this point uh, this morning with with Ben Standig, that, you know, last year, and it was a slightly different situation, new staff, he made it very clear that culture and changing the culture was the primary goal, and he was going to get to know the people that he had before he started making big decisions, even though they tried to make a big decision on Amari Cooper, and a Cooper didn't take the money. Ultimately, free agency produced, you know, names like J.D. McKissick and Logan Thomas and Peyton Barber, you know, and but Kendall Fuller also... Um, but Kevin Pierre Lewis and who am I forgetting? Um, uh, the middle know, linebacker who retired this year, Davis. Um, Thomas, Thomas Davis. Davis. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It wasn't like Wes Schweitzer. Wes Schweitzer. It turned out actually to be a very effective free agent class. I mean, almost all of those players I just met, mentioned made a contribution. Uh, I mean, Logan Thomas and J.D. McKissick. I would say, and even Wes Schweitzer, all outperformed what we thought in the moment. I know you and I both liked McKissick. Um, Kendall Fuller and Ronald Darby, we forgot Darby, uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, 
um, all played well and contributed. I know. It's where Kyle Smith did a pretty darn good job last year. <laughs> was that Kyle Smith that you, that you think dr- drove all the free agent uh, signings? I think a lo- well, yeah, he, he was – that was his role as of last year. Okay, more, more – No, it's not more to say draft. that the head coach wouldn't have some guys, but, I mean, there, there are certain guys like McKissick. I mean, th- that's a lot of film work and a lot of study over more than the time that Ron got hired for the job. Right. But more uh, – the draft was more his responsibility. No, Kyle was no, – until last year. Last year he was basically put in charge of pro and college scouting okay. before Ron got hired. So he would have been in charge of both departments. Okay. I Previous mean, to that, he was just the head college scout. I, I think Ron consistently – talked about Kyle um, and the draft as if that was his primary responsibility. But I believe you, you know, and I, you know, so I. I think he had a lot to do with it, but he was also involved in pro scouting. Right. Last year. By the way, just it, it, this is sort of an extension of something we've we've talked about briefly before. They did do a good job in free agency last year without spending a boatload of money. This year is going to be a very interesting year because there is a lot of people, many people feel that agents and even teams uh, with the reduced cap number are going to save their long-term deals for just the big names and other players are going to end up uh, signing one-year deals until that cap comes up. They're going to be very hesitant to commit to a long-term deal with a lower cap number, which may produce a less, uh, you know, a lesser deal than maybe they could get a year from now. Um, my point is that um, last year they got a, you know a lot, a lot of guys that we didn't know much about. They swung big and missed on Cooper. This year they've got a lot of money, but there's also going to be an opportunity with a lot of teams releasing players because of this cap and players that are going to be looking for just one year deals. Um, you know, I, I think about what they have right now, Cooley. In fact, it, it, we didn't plan on doing this, but let me go through the list real quickly. We've already made our feelings, um, uh, you know, uh, we've already described our feelings on Brandon Sheriff. The deadline's tomorrow at 4 p.m. for the tag. We wouldn't tag him. We don't think they're going to tag him. Um, a long-term deal is what we both would offer him, but we'd move on if he demands a lot more than what we talked about. Um, how about Ronald Darby? You know, last year you signed Darby to a one-year, $3 million deal. Would you sign Darby to another one-year, $3 million deal? Yeah, but that's not going to happen. Okay, how much is he going to get this year after playing pretty well last year? Darby's probably over $6 million a year after playing last year. Really? Something like that. I don't know. I think he. I think there were a lot of games where Darby played really, really well. I know you did. Yeah, the th- and here's the thing. I'm saying Darby, okay, I would sign him to two years, $5 million a year. If, if well, all yeah. he's going to get is a one year, I mean, I, I haven't looked at the cornerback market. The corner much. I prob- yeah. probably should have a little bit more, but he's certainly a good fit in that defense. Um, 
but he's not going to get a massive deal. He's not a lockdown corner. No. So, you, but you, just answer the question. Yes, you would try to re-sign him, and maybe yeah. That, because I think some of this news. Last Monday, we talked about how we thought it would be a new. Uh, the, this would be the first of several weeks in a row of, of news. And last week's big news was Alex Smith and the news that they were moving on from him, and they made it official on Friday, releasing him. This week is going to be a lot of tag news. Um, and by the way, the tag deadline could get pushed back because the salary cap number still isn't finalized. I saw Ian Rappaport tweet that out uh, about an hour ago. So it is possible that the franchise tag deadline could get moved. This has happened before um, in the past. But yes on Darby for you. Uh, what about Kevin Pierre? Last year was a $4 million deal, by the way. Uh, I think it was one year, $3 million. Darby signed a one year, $4 million deal. Playing the shadows of Oxen. Hill. I I saw yeah. that headline, but if you go to Spot Rack, it was it was one year three million. Um. So okay. I whatever. Um. What about KPL? Would you try to bring him back? He's going to cost you nothing. So sure. I I totally agree. I thought he at times really flashed, and by the way, they like him a lot. Uh, what about Cam Sims? He's a restricted free agent. To me, that to me, that's a no-brainer. You're going to figure out a deal to bring Cam Sims back. He was good for you last year. Yep, he was good for you. He's not great for you. So yeah, I think you can get him back on the cheap. Um, what about what about Dustin Hopkins? I'm not paying him more than low mid 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 grade kicker money you know the funny thing about hopkins he went through that whole patch through what 10 weeks of the season where it was like he's gonna miss a kick almost every game but he still ends up over 80 percent and towards the end of the year didn't miss kicks i like well, he, well, i don't think well, i don't know what you're talking about he, he missed a massive ex- extra point in the carolina game that was huge that was the next to last game of the year that is true. What did, what was his field, what was his percentage at the end of the year though? We looked uh, it up. It was like eighty percent. Was it eighty? Uh, yeah, I I I think he's ta- a talented kicker. I think he misses far too many kicks and far Here's too many big kicks. Here's my problem with Dustin Hopkins. What's your problem? Right away. Here's why I'm not paying him because I don't want to put him out there to kick a fifty-six yarder. Seventy-nine point four percent on field goals. If eighty percent will keep a job. I, I think you'd call that eighty percent, essentially. You got, uh, I mean, you're supposed to be above eighty percent. That's the, that's what I've always been told. That's what I've always heard. But I don't want to put Dustin Hopkins out there to kick a fifty-six yarder, to kick a fifty-eight yarder. They don't. Is he going to make a fifty-eight yarder? Um, but there are guys out there that can. Go find one. He can make a fifty-eight yarder. What was his long this year? As long as she was fifty-one, but he's made, he's made a, he's made long kicks before. You want, you want me to look this up? I, I, for the purpose of time right now, I don't, I don't know <laughs> if it's worth it. Well, but... I'm going to tell you right now, it's not, it's not going to be that hard to find. Um, uh, I got it's uh, well, actually, it might be. I well, I just have to get it off Pro Football Reference because, um, they give you the game. <laughs> They give you the lead game log. Okay, long, long. His career long is uh, a 56 yarder against Carolina in, 19, in 2018. 2018, 56 yards. Yeah. Yep. I, I, you know what? 
I think Dustin Hopkins is really His talented. His career? And I think you can do a lot worse. I just what bothers me about Hopkins is I just I go back to there are multiple seasons where he's really hurt him. 2016 is where he really hurt him. I mean, the kick in London, the kick in Detroit, the two kicks on Thanksgiving against the Cowboys. These were big misses that would have made what in 2016 he was still 81%. I understand that. But he missed some big effing kicks. He missed some really big kicks that year. That's that that year. Remember, he missed you know the short one in London to win the game from thirty yards out. That was the week after he had missed a huge kick in Detroit. They lost that game by three. He missed on Thanksgiving Day against the Cowboys two field goals, um, which you know basically would have made the difference. They lost that game. They lost that game by five, thirty-one to twenty-six. Um, you know, he just missed kicks. He missed, he missed a kick in the giant game at the end of the year in the game that, you know, everybody blames uh, on cousins and cousins was terrible in that game. Not saying he was good, but the defense was horrible and Hopkins missed another kick, you know, and it was 13, 10. Remember, um, it was 13, 10. It would have been 13, 13 late. They got yeah. a, they, they they scored on on the final play of the game when when they got the ball back and they were just trying to make a play tossing it around and the Giants ended up scoring. It was 13-10. He missed a field goal it would have been 13-13. He he's missed some some kicks that have really cost them dearly. I mean, you're talking to somebody who's feeling it on kickers is if you don't make them all, go find another dude. Yeah, but it's hard yeah, to find like, another I, dude. If you're not Vinatieri in his prime, then Go find another dude. Go find that guy. Yeah. I don't want an 80, 79 to 82% kicker. I want a guy that's 90. Yeah. I do, and too. That's, that's I, un, I Just so we're, we're clear, I'm aware that that's probably unrealistic. But it's not unrealistic to find another guy that's going to kick it 77% in taking a shot. You might miss a couple more kicks a year, but at least you're taking a shot at it. I also think it's really hard to find kickers. And the thing about Hopkins, he does what 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 special teams coaches like. He boots it through the back of the end zone on kickoffs, and his kicks, both from a PAT and a field goal standpoint, the ball gets up in the air quickly. It is a great ball flight. Like, when he misses, it always looks good. He just sort of pushes it, and it hits the right upright or just misses right. But he never badly hooks something or badly shanks something. All of the kicks get up in a hurry, and they're beautiful, soaring through the air. It's just sometimes he doesn't make them. Uh, Fabian Moreau, yes or no? No. Um, No, okay, let's put it this way. Fabian Moreau's not getting some big-time deal in free agency. No. and So you could, yes, you could keep Fabian probably for, for very little. Ryan Anderson they're not bringing back, and Ryan Kerrigan. The two Ryans are gone, right? They're not getting re-signed. I wouldn't – I see, I think Ryan Kerrigan will probably want some bigger money, but I don't think he's going to get it. He could get it, one of those one-year, you know, could get a one million year dollar deal to be a – uh, you know, a, a third down pass rusher on a good team that needs some help. 
Maybe. I don't know. You know what? He played pretty well last year. Kevin. (laughs) I'm talking about his production. I think there were games where he was pretty, I mean, really stout and strong. I know he's only got one move. You're just, God, you just don't like Ryan Kerrigan. I love Ryan Kerrigan. I know. You just don't love him as a player. I just am moving on from what his what he is as a player right now. I, I think the world of Ryan Carey. I know you do. But he just sort of falls into sacks. <laughs> he did have a couple. I, I will give it to you. He had a couple this year. Big-time like bull, ball bull rush stuff. I mean, not people could reset, If Ryan Kerrigan was just going to be a one-year deal and it was $5 million, I'd think about it. I'm not saying for this team. I'm saying that there's going to be a team. I'm saying for the team. I'm saying there's going to be a team. Remember, his reputation, and I know everybody watches film, but his reputation is really solid. He is also, what is he, 33 years old, 32 years old? What is Ryan, what is Ryan Kerrigan? Is he 30? Is oh, he's probably 33. So somebody's going to pay him six, seven million bucks to come off the edge on third and 10 32. With, with his bull rush. Because, you know, and by the way, the fan base of that team is going to be excited about it. Wow. We got Ryan Kerrigan. We got Ryan Kerrigan. For nothing. For hardly anything. One year, six million bucks. It's probably going to be like the Cowboys or the Eagles or the Giants. No. Probably be the Patriots. (laughs) Yeah, right. Might be the Patriots. And then they'll find a way to create with some blitzes and get him situations he'll have 11 sacks and we'll be like what the hell i should have looked this up before the show so it's my fault so if it's somebody that i know really well and i'm not giving him credit i apologize it wasn't ben so i think it may have been jp i should probably look it up real quickly but i think jp or somebody could have been nikki or could have been somebody who on the beat basically said that the team more likely than not is going to move on from reuben foster now i will tell you that about two months ago I heard from somebody, a good source, that said, good God, is Reuben Foster strong and is he a freak? And he's not back completely yet, but there's more hope than there's ever been that he'll be back physically. Um, so I don't know. You know you've got to commit to him. He's an un- unrestricted free agent. It's not like there's going to be anybody pounding down his door. And, you, you know, you just I, – I wonder I wonder whether or not Ron Rivera is going to take – and because I've said all, all along, Cooley, I think there is a guiding free agency draft um, principle here for this organization that we should all be mindful of before we go off predicting about free agent signings and players are going to draft. And that is this is not going to be an organization that signs anybody with any sort of red flags anymore, no matter how talented. You know, the due diligence done by Ron Rivera and Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew and everybody else involved is going to be a lot different than this organization's done, you know, over over a long period of time. I'm not suggesting Kyle wasn't competent and that various people in the organization, but the bottom line is the owner ain't coming in to pick somebody that can't play or has a big name but doesn't fit. So not not this year anyway. 
That would be my guess, that it's not going to happen this year. So Brandon Sheriff, I'm sure they want back. I believe John Allen will get a contract extension in this offseason before the season begins. I do believe that'll happen. Um, I, I, I don't know anything. I'm just guessing because I know how much Rivera loves him. Um, I'm with you on Darby, KPL. I think they do re-sign Hopkins. Um, I think they move on from Moreau. Uh, move on from Anderson, move on from Kerrigan, and they sign Cam Sims. They've already signed Taylor Heineke. I think they will sign Kyle Allen. That's a no-brainer. Um, and I think this guy, Robert Foster, you were the one that said, God, there's some people in the organization that, that, that think he can fly, and he can, and he was on the field. He's a restricted free agent. Wouldn't be surprised if they sign him to some sort of one-year, you know, low, you know, very low-level deal. So that's the group of of their own. We will have more later on in the week about what they'll be looking for. Cooley understands the timeline and he will have, and I will also have a free agency plan coming up. I love it, man. They're going to go get a tight end. I'll, I'll bet you Hunter Henry. If you Hunter Henry would fit everything we talked about work ethic, play through everything. Versatile player does what you want. Uh, Hunter Henry's, a dude, man. Watched a lot of Hunter Henry tape. Mm-hmm. That guy can play. Kyle Rudolph's out there. Yeah, Kyle Rudolph is out there. Kyle Rudolph is not Hunter Henry. I know that. And but Kyle he Rudolph. Is, but he is high character. Yeah, I love Kyle. I know Kyle really well. No, you guys didn't you guys remember we had him on the show a couple times. Did you guys share an agent? Is that why you were friends? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I really like Kyle Rudolph, but I, I don't know if Kyle Rudolph's anywhere near the same dude. What about Gerald Everett? You see, I like Everett a lot. I think Everett can play. I, th- I think he's legit good. Everett's hurt a lot. I He's a two tight end or an H-back way more than he is that Y position. I personally think that Logan Thomas could do a lot of that H stuff and be that second dude, and that you need the legit why. What about that guy, Jonu Smith? He's a free agent out of Tennessee. I thought he played really well. I like well. Jonu Smith. Jonu Smith's a why, but I don't know if Jonu Smith's – again, I don't know if he's – like he's not Hunter Henry or Ertz or that get-open guy. Right. Yeah, I'm just looking through. But, I mean, they, they need that position, in in my opinion. Right. You know, the thing that – the one thing I would say, though, is Logan Thomas grew enough as a player – and made enough plays that I'm sure they're saying if we didn't fill the position with the guy that we really wanted, we're good. We'll be okay this year. Yeah, we'll be okay with with Logan, and maybe we draft a guy in the third round. I mean, I'll tell you one thing: if you don't sign somebody to compete with Logan for the starting job, one of the things you're going to have to do if you end up going into the season with Logan Thomas as your number one tight end again, and you're really confident about that, you're you probably... two. I'm sorry? You're going to have to... <laughs> so they, do the, they do need a two. They're going to have to think about extending him. Yeah, and then that's frustrating because you're going to pay him a lot. I don't know how much you're going to pay him. But you want to be... Kevin. You want to be ahead of something like that. Uh, if you really believe that Logan Thomas, if you're okay if you don't sign somebody, that Logan Thomas can can really be a good player for you for the next couple of years... 
be ahead of this shit. Don't wait until he has an even better year next year and then he's an unrestricted free agent. If you could extend him a few years and instead of giving him, what did he earn last year? It was like a two-year, $6 million deal, something like that. So if you can give him a couple more million a year and extend him and keep him around a little bit longer with maybe like, you know, some sort of team option for another year, you do it now. You don't wait until he becomes an unrestricted free agent after he call after he catches 80 balls next year from Taylor Heineke. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. If you don't believe in him, I, I, you don't do that. But you just said they might be okay if they don't sign Hunter Henry or or, you know, Jonu Smith or put it this way, if Kyle Pitts is within range of 19, I'm going to get him. Yeah. I would actually trade. I would trade up for. Him. I would trade up for Kyle Pitts. Yeah, me too. I mean, the th- the reason is is you, you like you don't find guys like Kyle Pitts every year. It's a really he's a really unique player. Did you, and you see what happens when you got Travis Kelsey? Um, it's been interesting with tight ends and and the draft. The draft two years ago when Hawkinson went high and Fant went high and um, uh, what's his face from Minnesota for the Alabama tight end, Irv Smith. Did he, he, he ended up not going in the first round, right? I think he may have gone in the second round. I think he might've went late first, right? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah. But you, I think he went in the first. You didn't love any nope, of them. second round. He was second round. You didn't well, love. I, so here, the thing with Hawkinson, you liked Cole Komet, uh, who went in the second round. Last I like year. Cole Komet a lot. I think he's going to be a really good player. I like Komet. I like Komet. Komet's film better than Hawkinson's film. My my thing with Hawkinson was he's a he was a very good blocker and is he's a really really good blocker. And and when you saw that when we played Detroit this year, I thought he did, I thought that was one of Chase Young's worst games. And I thought Hawkinson did a heck of a job blocking him. I personally thought Hawkinson could really run, but was a magnet downfield. He could not avoid contact. Right, I remember that. Yeah, exactly. And so I didn't think he would ever be Kelsey. But he, I mean, that's hard to say when you get guys that athletic that they don't get taught a little bit better. He was like, and, and then and he then eighth Cooley eighth. I know that Kyle but Pitts it, may not go in the top ten. Yes, he is. I mean, he might, but if all the, if the five all the quarterbacks, quarterbacks are the top going, ten, no. Yeah, but yeah, I talked to the. Uh, I coached in that All Star game last year, right? And one of our tight ends was from Iowa, and he said, "We don't. We just block in practice like that." Our coach had us. That was what we did. Route running. No. And I'm sure I sent videos to you of me teaching that kid how to double stick. Yeah. And he was so pumped. He's like, God, I wish someone had taught me this. And he picked it up in a day and he was breaking off safeties in the all-star game. Who was that kid? That would um come on, Chris. He didn't play anywhere. You know, the the funny thing about Iowa, the year that Hawkinson, 2019, got picked eighth, and I did get the other first-round first pick, Noah Fant. Um, I just pulled it up. Fant was Iowa, too. There were two Iowa tight ends yeah. picked in the top 20 of the draft. And Fant's had some moments in Denver, but they just have had issues at quarterback. Um, Irv Smith, by the way, is a good player. Now, 
they, they they offensively with you know Jefferson and Thielen and Smith and Cook. Um, I mean, it just they were you know they they just all caught a lot of balls this year. I I I guess my my point on the tight end thing is is that. Um, uh, it would be great if, for a young quarterback, if it ends up being one of these two young quarterbacks and not some sort of veteran, it would be really good to have Logan Thomas plus. Well, first of all, you have to have Logan Thomas plus something because I, you, I the other guys are not good enough to be. You would do Ertz in a minute, right? In a minute. I think you put the two of them on the field, you got a really good personnel group. I do Ertz right now, and I don't know what they're going to get for Ertz. I think there's enough unknown with Ertz out there with health and stability and some of the things that I I think that you're going to get Ertz for a third. You know, Hawkinson caught 67 balls this year, six touchdowns for Detroit. I know he was on my fantasy team. You know, but he had a quarterback who could throw him the ball too. I know, he and did. just so you know, because we played them, so I watched a lot of it. Like he's not out there breaking dudes off. It's like more like Logan Thomas. So separate many... because he can run away a little bit, but he's not out there breaking dudes down. He just played and looked like you on the field. But again, like I said about Hawkinson, is is maybe he. Well, not maybe. I I know who. I know somebody that played at Iowa. They weren't taught to run routes, and in three days, I taught a kid how to run routes. And he was pumped about it. And the funny thing about me saying that is, I was really never taught to run routes either until McVay started coaching. I had a little bit more innate ability naturally to find open spaces and do to do some certain things, but like the the footwork of it and stuff, that was never really a part of some of the stuff we did. It's Al Saunders a little bit, but that was a different style for me. Who was like, the was Who was the best route running tight end that you played with in Washington? Was there anybody that was good, talented that I played with? Yeah, just I mean, I, there weren't many I tight ends other thought than Todd you. Todd Yoder could really run, but was stiff. I thought he was a good route runner. What about Fred? Nope, Fred was an awful route runner. Fred, had I love to- Fred. Fred had a lot to learn. Fred could have become a great route runner. Um, I think that's I've, Fred and I are still friends. Um, we've talked a lot. Remember, I spent a off season every day with Fred right. when he was trying to get back in the league, and yeah, it was like it, I think Fred's another one of those guys where he's like, I really wish that I would have t- my first four years would have went differently. You mean from his standpoint? From his standpoint, how he treated it, how he practiced, right. how he went went about things. Yeah, well, sleep. Fred had all that. Fred could have been, I, like, when I was working with Fred, and he, and obviously there was reasons why he didn't get signed some of the stuff that he had. But I personally learned a lot about Fred Davis that I never knew. I think he's an incredibly intelligent person. I think he's a hard, hard worker, and he was a hard worker when he was with Washington. It was just hard for him to. To get work to, in the classroom. To get to work. Like he, when he went out on the field, he was going to practice as hard as anybody. There, there was never any doubt with that. And I, I, I personally thought that that offseason, what, five years ago, something like that, that if he would have been signed, given a, a, the right opportunity, he, he was a top 10 tight end in the league that next year. My personal belief. And I called a lot of coaches and stuff. And I'm like, this, this guy can play. You should give him a shot. 
You did? Mm-hmm. Who'd you call? I called all the guys I knew. Sean. Yeah. Um, John, the floor, some of the dudes. But um, but they. My pro- the problem with that I had with Fred, or that he had, saw the coaches I knew, were the ones that watched him <laughs> in the meeting rooms. I know. And I'm like, dude, I mean, everyone I know is going to be like, yeah, we know Fred. But I didn't know Fred when I played. He's different. Fred was, gosh, I thought, I wished he would have got one more shot. I think he would have made more of it. God, that that draft, Cooley. Honestly, it's one of the worst drafts in recent NFL history. It's not even recent anymore. Yeah, we talked about that a lot. Devin Thomas, did, did did he ever have a chance to be a good player? The thing that I'm, that you really start to look at. Well, first of all, you can't babysit dudes. I mean, I I think that all the time, and I, I've always said like, just hire a couple extra assistant coaches and guys that can kind of cater to them, and they're you're paying them enough, you're could you're committed enough. Just hire a babysitter a little bit for some of these guys. Devin had a lot of talent. The 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 guy that. I I do I feel sorry for as well as is Malcolm Kelly. He he had old man knees. <laughs> and they drafted like he him. didn't pass the physical. He drafted him in the second round. I know. And Malcolm had a ton of talent, but he could he was never going to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And I also know this: when your knees hurt all the time, or one of them hurts all the time, it, life's hard. Yeah, well, especially, you know, when you're older and he was young. What about, um, I'm just curious from that draft, the punt, you know, they drafted a punter, Durant Brooks, in the sixth round that year. He, he was, uh, I don't remember much about Durant Brooks. Okay. I think he was goofy. And What about Colt Brennan? Were, you, were, were any of the players bought in to what the fans were bought into in that preseason, that legendary Colt Brennan preseason? Yeah, Colt. Is another one of those guys that I think I don't know if he could have changed exactly who he was, but like we told Cole all the time, like, dude, just put on a Redskins polo and sit there and take notes and act interested. Like, you're the quarterback; you have to be there all the time. You get Cole had a boatload of talent. Here's my thought on Cole: he could see the field and he could make decisions quick. Those are two things that you don't just find in quarterbacks right golly how about I, a bad, I, I'm, bad I'm, situation for a quarterback though you're drafted into a Jim Zorn offense I'm interested though and because it's sometimes when we talk I get new things from you and you've just essentially said that you know Devin Thomas needed a babysitter and Colt Brennan wasn't committed you know in the same way probably that you know Dwayne needed to be committed talent but they they need to be committed. very similar I think Colt would have been better than Dwayne if he would have been given Dwayne-type opportunity, personally. Mm-hmm. I think he had more talent than Dwayne, um, but probably similar situations. Was Jason- yeah, Devin De- – I mean, the, the Devin Thomas thing is like, was he ever really going to work? Because I don't know. I am telling you, Cooley, the 2008 NFL draft, I am absolutely convinced of the following. This is how um, inept this organization was. I think because they had really never, 
you know, for whatever reason, fans get wrapped up into this trade back, trade back, accumulate more picks. Well, it's because what Bobby Beathard did way back and it always worked. Trade back, trade back. Well, first of all, you have to have somebody to trade back with. Secondly, like we pointed out J.J. Watt here when Washington traded back, took Ryan Kerrigan, but passed on J.J. Watt. Sometimes you don't want to trade back. You just want to take the player that's going to be a dominant player. But that 2008 draft, they had um, pick number 21 overall in the first round, and they traded with Atlanta and picked up those extra second-round picks. And it was, I'm convinced of it to this day, that it was this feeling that, you know what, we've been, we've been reaching for big name stars and pay over paying. We, you know, we'll look smart this year by trading back and picking up extra picks. And then they had the three second round picks and it was Devin Thomas and Fred Davis and Malcolm Kelly. And not one of them worked out. It turned out to be truly, if you look at their draft that year, just one, you know, every single round of, of the draft that year for them, it's one of the worst drafts start to finish in NFL history. The, the, I think it was three years after or four years after that draft, there was only one player on an NFL roster left, and it was Chad Reinhardt, and he was in San Diego. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's true. I think it was four years after that draft, one player out of the, I think they drafted 10, was left in the league, and it was Chad Reinhardt. And he wasn't that good, but he had at least, you know, like a five- or six-year NFL career. Um, I guess Fred Davis probably was on the team you know, four years ago. I'm just sitting here. We, we brought this up, and I've thought a lot about Fred over the last six years. Both of They put both of us in a bad situation to some extent, especially Fred. Well, they Fred didn't, should have been – They didn't some, wake him up. Like, had I been Brian Kozlowski or Todd Yoder or any of the guys that I played with – that I could have looked at Fred in one month of training camp and went, he's better than me. Then I probably could have babysitted Fred a little more. Like Brian Kozlowski babysat me for two years. Sort of. I mean, we sat right next to each other in meetings. He was taking notes. We were doing like, there was a, there was a always some little competition, but it, it, I don't think Brian ever thought or cause or cause, Everyone calls him after I found out when he left. Uh, I don't think he ever thought I should be playing over Chris. And he was cheering for me and rooting for me, and it was almost like he was kind of coaching me. Did you need babysitting? I I, no, I didn't need babysitting, but everybody needs a guy that's looking out for him a little bit. And I tried to help. I did. I did try to help Fred, and Fred said to me afterwards, like, I just always thought I was competing with you. So some of the things I, I wanted to do it my way. I just had I been thirty-two on my way out. God, I could have been that guy that just sat right next to him every day. I should have taken more ownership in that team to sit by Fred every day. Some of that's my fault. Yeah, that takes good leadership. It takes good leaders to do that, and he should have been a better player than he was. Now, some of the decisions he made off the field, they're like. It's not like Brian Kozlowski could have helped me with a lot of. <laughs> you the, go home, the do what you want to do. You took of yourself, he couldn't help you with that. 
That's not necessarily true. I think he was living with me during that time. Oh, he was. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, younger was for sure. I One think of he them was, was living with me and maybe encouraged it. Um, uh, that was an accident. I that that I mean, there were accidents that happened, but it's not an accident <laughs> to make to mm-hmm. to spend time during the week doing things you shouldn't be doing that it really impact your how you feel the next day. I made some of those choices as well. Back to the 2008 draft, my point was, I think Vinny wanted to be like, look at us, look at how smart we are, trading back and picking up extra picks. See, we've never done this one before. Look at how smart we are. Um, oh, I know uh, one other thing off of this conversation. Was Jason Campbell a good worker? Yeah. He was. Uh, what, this has been my thought with Jason all along. And Jason and I were really close friends while we were there together. Was that I heard it from Sonny probably four years later, but it, it just sparked my mind with Jason. When he, was the OODA loop thing, the military fighter pilot brain speed analysis. Like how fast is their brain? I just think Jason saw it a split second later than the elite quarterbacks. Plus he had that long delivery. Yeah, he had the long delivery. That's what I was going to say, yeah. So it it was like the timing was – the anticipation and timing was never quite what it had to be to be elite. I can picture that thinking of him playing. And at the same time, he also had this very – um, nonchalant sort of approach. And I'm not saying that he wasn't competitive at all, um, but there was just this, you know, and that worked so, to his favor um, in in some cases. He never seemed to be a guy that got like v- super upset or rattled about much. True or not? Nope, very true. And the other thing I always look back and think about Jason is he was drafted to be a quarterback in Joe Gibbs system. Right where he was a great deep ball thrower and made big plays like that at Auburn with a team that really ran the ball. Remember they had those two really big backs. Cadillac Williams big, and Cadillac uh, Williams and, and, um, and the other one, yeah. And uh, then Ronnie his, Brown, Ronnie Brown, Ronnie, Ronnie Brown. They were both taken in the same draft, right? Weren't yeah, they? And, or am yeah. I thinking about somebody else? I forget. No, I think that was it. I know it was Cadillac Williams. Yeah, and, Cadillac and then Williams all of a sudden Brown. it's like, here's Al Saunders playbook. The fit wasn't great. Jason ended up having a really good year in Oakland, I think, a couple years later. Better he, than he did. people give credit for. You're right. What's really amazing about that is that Washington traded up in that draft, that 2005 draft, the year after you got picked, um, in part because they drafted Carlos Rogers in the, in the top ten, I want to say number nine overall. And they, that was their first pick, Carlos Rogers. Um, and by the way, they picked him in front of, I'll never forget, Sean Merriman, because Merriman was a Maryland guy. And all of us thought that Merriman had a chance to be an absolute star pass rusher, and we were right. Anyway, and Carlos Rogers was a good player, never a great player. But they traded back into the first Well, he, was, he went on to be even better after he got contacts. After he got contacts. Which, by the way, was the same which same didn't thing happen with Fred, here. like four, three and a half years in, Fred dropped a lot of balls and stuff in practice. He just needed contacts. <laughs> Why couldn't anybody at that? I don't know. You do an eye test every year. 
Oh, Jesus. But they traded back into the first round to select Jason Campbell right after Aaron Rodgers had been selected by the Packers. I think it was 23-24 in that draft. Rodgers was 23. But they like but Joe liked Jason or Joe liked Jason Campbell. I know he did. It, this was a Joe move. Joe fell in love with Jason Campbell when they went down to work out Carlos Rodgers. And he wanted Jason Campbell. He saw Jason Campbell as his next Mark Rib, Mark Rippin Doug Williams big time, you know, deep thrower. And you know, it just if they had traded up, I mean, you're, to your point, they weren't going to take Aaron Rodgers, but they traded up one spot short, uh, one spot after the Packers and selected Jason Campbell. Hold on. I'm just pulling up this draft just to make sure. As you're doing that, I'm going through the yeah, two Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers was 24. Campbell was 25. The trade was once again with Denver. Denver and Mike Shanahan loved to tee up this organization. Uh, look, bottom line, I don't care what anybody says about the Champ Bailey situation, and he had to go. You don't trade a Hall of Fame corner and a second-round pick for a really good running back. That trade should have been worst case straight up, or really it should have been Denver throwing in the second-round pick with Clinton. No doubt. To get Champ no Bailey. No doubt. Um, but, you know. Whatever. And I, we all love Clinton. Uh, we all I love mean, Clinton. But Clinton Clinton should have been coming to Washington with one of Denver's second-round picks, not Champ Bailey and a second-round pick going to Denver for Clinton Portis. Um, well, let's just stop right there for a second. 2004, you don't give up a second-rounder next year to get a pick into the third round to draft me. Well, you know, Cooley. They had to give up a second to draft at 81 overall. So we didn't talk about this last week. I think it, w- it must have been Tommy and I that talked about it. You know, Kellen Winslow the second was was convicted of those crimes. He's going. He's going to do 14 years of, of serious time. And so I t- I retold the story. I didn't do this with you, right? I did it with Tommy. No, you didn't do it. With I me. retold the story that Clinton told me and hadn't, and I don't think had ever told before. Clinton and I were doing this event. I don't know. This is like 10 years ago. Bunch of you know season ticket holders somewhere that paid for it and. Larry couldn't show up, so I ended up hosting the whole thing. And Clinton told the story that I remember I hadn't heard, and he said, "Ah, I don't think I've told this story before. First of all, that he basically was responsible for talking Joe into trading Lavernius Coles for Santana Moss. That's number one. Um, Lavernius Coles wanted out. Uh, Clinton was friends with Santana Moss, obviously, from the Miami days. So he said, Joe, here's the trade. Santana wants to come here. Lavernius wants to go trade him, And, and Joe did. And then the fa- the more famous story is, you know, the that Joe wanted to take Kellen Winslow at number five overall because he wanted a big time tight end. He wanted offense, and Clinton got wind that that's who they were going to take at number five overall. And he walked into Joe's office and he said, "Joe, you can't draft Kellen Winslow." And Joe said, "Why?" He said, there are a lot of reasons why. I guess Clinton knew that there were some red flags on Winslow. He said, he's a talent, but you have to draft Sean Taylor. And Joe said, yeah, but Clinton, we're looking for more offense. And Clinton said, that's exactly why you have to draft Sean Taylor. 
he'll he'll provide <laughs> more offense than Winslow right. would. But the point is, is they ended up listening to Clinton. And by the way, I had Joe on the show like, you know, a year later. I asked him about that, and he said, absolutely, Clinton was very influential. He was very, very passionate about us drafting Sean and not drafting Kellen Winslow, and, and Kellen was going to be the guy. Anyway, you know, extrapolate that out. If they did pick Winslow, they would have never traded into the third rounder for you, and we wouldn't be having this conversation right now, more likely than not. No. It's a fine line league. You know what? We can thank, and all of you can thank, uh, Cooley's play and then his post-media career contributions to Clinton Portis talking Joe Gibbs uh, out of drafting Kellen Winslow and into drafting Sean Taylor. But he liked you. I mean, I mean, he's told that story with you and me on the air or with others. I mean, you know, they, they wanted a tight end, and he really liked you, and he was afraid you were going to go to Dallas, right? Wasn't that the thing? And he tr- no. He just – I was the only other guy in the draft that he thought would be his H-back. Okay. And he didn't want to – he had to have his H-back. Got it. So I was the guy that he wanted – he wanted me or Kellen because he wanted that position. Right. The Saints drafted the next year at number 40 overall. They took Josh Bullock's DB out of Nebraska. I never looked that up. Washington would have had number 40 overall in 2005. Oh, because that was the pick that they sent to move up with you. Yeah. Got it. But that's the, I mean, I don't, like if someone, if I'm your GM, I mean, it's, but the thing is, is it's Joe. And Joe's like, I want my guy. Yeah. Then you probably just get his guy. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, they basically traded for Brunel. Because he was going to be his guy, and they probably could have gotten him for nothing if they had just waited a little bit longer. Joe was not – look, all of us understand this as lifelong and longtime fans. Joe's strength was not personnel. It wasn't when he was here his first go-round, when Bobby and Joe, you know, essentially for all intents and purposes, split up. Joe wanted more control over the say of, of the roster. Bobby was ready to move on. It was amicable. They both love each other forever. Um, Bobby, you know, goes to San Diego, and the Chargers end up going to a Super Bowl. Not winning it, but, you know, he's one of the greatest general managers in Hall of Fame um, of all time. Um, Charlie was easier to work with. Joe had much more say. But Joe didn't get a lot of shit right. You know, the first go-round, you know, he was the one that was dead set on drafting Desmond Howard. Desmond Howard couldn't play. He couldn't play wide receiver, and they took him fourth overall. Um, Joe, you know, Joe messed a lot of those things up personnel-wise. And when he got here in 2004, look, getting Brunel was great, but he didn't need. To, but he, the, the the other part of it is he didn't have anybody to say, "Hey, Joe, I'm I'm going to get you Brunel, but we don't need to trade for him." Hey, Joe. I think we're going to get Cooley. I don't think we need to trade up for him. He had Vinny well, and they, Dan. They did have to trade up for me at that point. Well, who was going to take you? The Saints were going to take me at that pick. Oh, the Saints were going to take you at that pick. At that pick. Oh, okay. I, I'm sorry. Then they did Because that was Hazlitt who's told me that story from his end. Got it. 
So just and just well, like when you say you don't, it's you really don't want to give away a second. It's I I thought I was gonna go late second, yeah, mid second. I, I know. I personally thought when with the list of tight ends the way it stood and the combine results, I I should have been the third or fourth guy taken, if not the fifth. And I ended up being the eighth, when, seventh or eighth taken in that draft. Let's see if we can do it again. We've done this before. Go ahead, name them. I don't. We don't. Come on, it. name them. The the one that I thought was crazy, a guy named Ben Hartsock went to Indy. Yeah, he was nothing. Ohio State guy. Uh, Chris Wilson out of Pitt went to Kansas City. Hold on. Ben what? Troop went to Tennessee. Ben Ben Hartsock went. Ben. You forgot the first. Ben Watson yeah. went, and he had a long career. Ben Watson ended up being a good player. Ben Watson was a first. Winslow was a first. Troop was a first. No, Troop wasn't a first. He was a second. Um, I don't. That's that's where I'm at. Chris Wilson went before you. Yeah, from Pitt. Chris Wilson went before me. Should he have? Uh, no. And Hartstock shouldn't have gone before you. Those are the two that you really don't think should have gone before you. What about, um, what about Troop? Troop was a Florida guy, good athlete. I thought he was – I knew he would go before me. Mm-hmm. But as those – do, but the thing for me, I remember that draft, is like Ben Watson went at the end of the first round to like New England. So he was the second, and Troop went early in the second. Yep, he went 40th in the second. And then I was like, I'm next. I thought I would be next. And Chris Wilson went up going late second to Kansas City, and thank goodness I didn't do that because he never got a chance because he was behind Tony for five years. Right. Right. And then then Hartsock went early in the third to Indy, and that one I was like, come on. Hartsock was not a good player. So, yeah, I was sixth. Uh, by the way, in that draft, the second that went with Champ Bailey to Denver was Tatum Bell for the Broncos in the second round, the running back. Um, and what I'm thinking is, had they not traded a second, let's just say Champ for Clinton was straight up, that's probably where you would have been taken. It's, poss- yeah. it's possible, right? Because Joe really wanted you. That would have been the second round, but they didn't have another pick until later in the third round – and they ended up having to trade up into the third round. So he may have taken you in the second round, and if he had taken you at that spot in the second round, that would have been one selection after Ben Troop. But you at least at least you would have gone before Chris Wilson and Hartstock. It's right. just none of it matters. Right. It worked out just fine. All right, let's get to some other stuff right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show 
by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Uh, I want to get, we, we took a lot of time in that first segment. I want to get through a couple of things real quickly. Um, number one is this. So since you and I last did a show, um, because we didn't do a show together on Friday and then you had a skiing trip on Saturday that you had forgot to tell me about, but that's okay. Tommy, Tommy, uh, came to the rescue, but I, oh well, we didn't do a show on Friday cause you had a migraine. I did have a migraine. I had a terrible fucking migraine when my radio show was over on Friday. And I asked you, I said, is there any way you'd mind doing it tomorrow? I, I said, I can suck it up and do it today, but any, any chance you'll do it tomorrow? And you said, yeah, yeah, tomorrow will work fine. And then when I called you the following morning or texted you to say, hey, are you going to be ready in the next you know, half hour or so? Oh, I forgot. I'm skiing. Well, I didn't really forget I had skiing. I, I just, and I know, what, just keep in mind, I know what day it is but I'm in a world where it doesn't necessarily always matter what day it is. <laughs> really? God, how nice would that be? That would it's be so amazing. nice. But I mean, I'm just <laughs> telling you, like, yeah. I was, I like doing the show with you. So when I was all the way in to work and doing the show and you said you had a headache, I'm like, okay, what am I going to do now? Well, no, you said, actually, that works out fine for me. I'm, I'm fine with that. Well, I mean, because you were scrambling to... that day. If, if you had said, I'm sitting here no, waiting for you, I would have sucked it up and done it. I wasn't scrambling. Yes, you were. You what certainly... was I scrambling? I don't know. I don't remember what it was. That That's all the way back on Friday now. All right. I, here's what I want you to do. I, I don't <laughs> want to talk about this anymore. Um, that's an eternity ago. <laughs> so... So let me catch you up to speed on something you're somewhat familiar with, but not totally familiar with. So the big news on Friday, late morning, um, was that uh, the junkies broke the following story, that they had seen the Beth Wilkinson report and that a couple of things were in it, including recommendations that Snyder a top recommendation to the owners that Snyder be forced to sell, a secondary recommendation to the owners that Snyder be suspended for a significant amount of time if the owners choose not to force him to sell. Um, there was information in there about a cover-up, about obstruction of the investigation itself by Snyder that had frustrated Beth Wilkinson to no end. This is what she was uh, perhaps as upset with. We don't know the contents. We don't know if there's a smoking gun directly linking something untoward with Snyder. I'm sure there's a lot more on the culture, etc. Um, but... Uh, Tommy and I both felt the same way. The league, by the way, denied that they had gotten the investigation, which to me is irrelevant. I don't care if they got the investigation or not. That's not the point. The point was the information that the junkies had um, about the recommendations and about Snyder having obstructed and influenced negatively and and um, you know, covered up somewhat the investigation attempt um, by Beth Wilkinson, who, let's keep in mind, Snyder was the one that hired her initially, and then they turned that over to the league. So there was that story, Cooley, followed up by a story by Michael Phillips in the Richmond Times-Dispatch um, with also either Barstool or Pro Football Talk or maybe a combination of both, whereby the following um, has taken place. Number one is that... Facebook ads were out promoting a story on a website about Dan Snyder's 
Im- incredible generosity in his charitable donations. This website, uh, w- when looked up, no no owner of the website, no information on who runs the website, nothing but Facebook ads driving people to this website to check out this very favorable story on Dan Snyder. And the other thing that Michael Phillips had is that on on, on October 22nd, I think it was, 2020, a bunch of bot Twitter accounts were created, all of which have spent time saying super nice things about Dan Snyder and the organization. And just just so you, for you, the robot Twitter accounts, not purchased. Because the first time you said, like, you said bot Twitter, I'm like, you buy? Well, basically, the they're fake Twitter accounts yep. that – you know that that are opened up that look like real people own them, but they they there aren't they aren't. Yeah, they're BOTS. Yes, BOTS. So, your reaction to both of those things? I don't know if the the Wilkinson report should be out or not. Okay. I, I don't know if that's part of the deal you mean it's gonna come out yeah it may not be made public there's a lot of now i can tell you right now obstructing it really enhances the possibility of it being leaked out because people get mad when you are dishonest with people or there's a reason for them to believe there's something they they leak that's the leak thing's easy any or this another side tangent but any organization that has leaks it's easy when things don't make sense or people don't agree with the philosophy and the culture, then they get leaks. Create a strong culture, create whatever. It was going to get leaked once they obstructed. I don't know how I feel if that should be out or not. It's A lot of what she's getting is supposed to be private. People are giving her things thinking they're private. Yeah, you can Jane Doe. I never that. talked to Beth Wilkinson. I, I never talked to Beth Wilkinson. I don't know what... What? Who she's talking to? What she's talking to? Anyways, did whatever. Ever, I don't. I don't have much of an you? opinion on that. Did they ever ask you? I don't think so. No. Okay. Um, as no, far as the has Twitter they, accounts, has anybody reached? I, this is a question that I have not asked you. So, if you don't want to answer it, please do not answer it. I'm just curious with all of the stories in the post about the culture and. You just answered that Beth Wilkinson, nobody from her group has reached out to you to interview you for anything. She may have. I went through a period of time where I didn't have a phone for like six weeks. Okay, but you don't know that she did. No. It Did anybody from the post? I didn't work. Like, for everyone that thinks, like, I was there, but I was like. I know. In my radio booth. Right. Um, like, I wasn't in the process of hiring people, managing people, working with people. I was my own entity in a radio booth, and then I just started going out to the football field because I wanted to. Right. But did anybody from the Post ever call you? Yeah, remember we talked about that I with, do, with I don't the remember. cheerleader story. I don't remember, though. I, I honestly don't. Yeah, I, there was like a quote from me with the cheerleader story, and it, they wanted to know about – my history with dating the cheerleaders. And I, oh, I right, honestly, right, I got right. to the point where I was like, frankly, I was 22 and I didn't think there was relevance to what I did that played into the role of what the cheerleaders was. They, it was, well, you, mar- you married her. <laughs> right. I mean, 
So uh, you married that woman. Um, okay. So, so anyways, yeah. on from that, no, I haven't really talked to anybody. I okay. talked to them when the, the month before that came out. And it got to towards the end of the conversation. I'm like, I really don't want to be a part of this conversation. Right. I didn't. I didn't think what I, whatever. It's not my decision to determine what's news and what's not. But to me, I was like, I wish I would have never even taken the call. Right. Well, um. The bottom line is, you didn't have enough of anything to really help them with their story because none of what was discussed in that story involved you, except for you know just the fact that you had married a cheerleader in the past a long time ago right so christy the the robot thing the bot thing well wait a minute you're gonna get caught doing that stuff oh my god exactly like this is like you're not like it doesn't matter if they got bot accounts every third week someone's everything's tracked you're gonna get caught doing that and if you don't think you're going to, you're crazy. There's not a boatload of people out there heavily promoting the owner. So if they're investigating anything on Twitter and they're like, who are these 10 people that are hyping Dan? Of course. If you, because if you think of the nature of social media, if you don't work for him or have some reason to say something really positive, a benefit of it, why do you want to take an onslaught of negativity on social media? Because that's what you're if, like, if I tweet something incredibly positive about Dan, even if I feel that way, is it worth it to me to just get smoked on Twitter? My answer is no. I'm sorry. I'm, I mean, I'm in the business of doing what I believe in, but at the same time, I'm in the business of not having thousands of people tell me I'm a piece of trash. One of so the, when you think about human nature, think about the like human nature of why people do social media. Essentially, it's like popularity or to feel good about yourself. No one wants to tweet that out to not feel good about themselves. No one does that. So anybody that's researching it is going to think about the nature of, of, of humans and be like, okay, who is this? Yeah. And they're going to figure it out. You're asking to get caught. couple things real quickly. Because the um, Michael Phillips followed up after Tommy and I did the podcast on Saturday with the Washington had reached out to him to say that not only is this false, that Dan Snyder did not do this, but that there have been many bot campaigns against Dan Snyder. And they pointed to those as somehow relevant. It's irrelevant. That it has nothing to do with with what they they uncovered. Um, And oh, by the way, um, you don't need bots out there no one needs to create some sort of fake social media campaign against dan snyder there's plenty of it out there legitimately um that whole hashtag fire bruce allen thing that trended for six months right and all the dan snyder comments bot related <laughs> yeah not really um but that is kind of funny like right like t- they're so detached from reality that apparently their follow-up with Michael Phillips included uh, some sort of irrelevant, but there, let, let me, let us give you the examples of the bot campaigns against us. Hey, what that may be true, but it wasn't necessary. Okay. A, a positive social media 
um, you know, uh, influential campaign for you on behalf of you, benefiting you, is 100% necessary because nobody's out there doing it on their own. But for every half of a person that does it on their own in a positive way, there are 99 and a half out there that are doing it in a negative way. So it's totally irrelevant. What I was going to just say, though, is this. I just, it's like, I want to believe that things are going to be different this time. And I do have a belief in Ron. I think I have more of a belief in Ron Rivera than even you do. Um, I... You know, I'm fine with Mayhew and Herney, and I think there's a professionalism. I think there's a recognition of the kind of people and character you need in an organization to to, to build a sustained winner. I'm never going to be naive enough to think that the owner can't come in and screw the whole thing up. Um, because, of course, that that always exists as long as he owns the team. But to me, it's like, okay, they hired all these new people, you know, Jason Wright and Julie and all these different people and in the, in the and a whole new social media campaign. And yet it continues to be the same thing. They cannot execute with any level of competence. Like, how do you if this if you if this was them, okay, and it may not have been them. It may have just been the two uh, the one guy, Ivan, who calls into the radio show all the time, that may be the only guy that ever calls into the show that loves Dan Snyder, that thinks Snyder's the best owner in the world, and always talks about, what do you want? You want a winner, right? And he said the other day to me, he goes, the only thing we should be worried about is a winner, and Dan Snyder wants to win, and I said, have you seen his record? Uh, it's precisely about winning. He hasn't won, and he's lost big. He, well, if, uh, but here's the problem. Go ahead. What I was going to say is it just doesn't matter who is brought in. It the, the, the fish rots from the head down. And everything about that rotting head permeates everything below it. And to, to really uh, look, if this really was them, it's like you can't even do this right. Like, seriously, the first thing I would have thought about is, okay, well, we can't, you know, do it all at once. It's got to be got to leak it out over a several month period. And it's got to, you know, whatever. Like, you, you can't have a fake website. We, we can't have a fake website. We got to find somebody that can legitimately do the website that, you know, can't be linked back to us somehow. It's like Cooley uh, when I told you, and I, and I read this letter on Friday for everybody, again, for like the second or third time. The letter that when the post story came out in July with the with all of the culture stuff, I mean Louis Shrek, all right, the senior vice president of sales and marketing. We we all know Louis, we worked with Louis for years, and I'm sure this wasn't Louis's idea. But they send out a letter to all of their clients and all of their sponsors saying Attached is the article that appeared in the post. This is the only legitimate reporting that's been done. All the other stuff, the internet rumors that you heard, that's not true. This is true. Like, who would do that? Who would actually send that letter out thinking that nobody's going to see it to clients and sponsors and, and people that they're gen- generating revenue off? Like, did they think, oh, we want to be totally transparent in case you didn't see this story? This story is the legitimate reporting. The one about the 15 women that claim that, that we had a, a culture of, of, of sexual harassment that was difficult for women. This one's good. It's the Jeffrey Epstein stuff that isn't. I just don't... I, I, 
Cooley, you've been much closer to it than we have, but a lot of us in the media, especially at the radio station, because of the affiliation with Red, Red Zebra and is the flagship, I just, over the years, it just sometimes, I just, I'm just like, uh, this, I, I can't believe they did it again. Like, like you and I always said, if they just gave us responsibility over handling the messaging, in our sleep we could have done a better job. But whatever. It's just one of those things where I think people come in and and what maybe have ideas. And he's like, nope, fix it now. Fix it or else. <sighs> okay, uh, how do we fix it now? Uh, well, we could do this uh, bot thing. People, nah, sounds good. I like bots. Do, do it. Bots. Oh, yeah, somebody did a bot campaign against me. Let's do it back to them. Okay. Uh, get it out tomorrow. And on October 22nd, here it was. All of them came out at the same time, basically saying the same thing. <laughs> it's like the messages are identical. Like, there's no... Seriously, though, whoever did create... And it might house, not have been them. They, they, maybe it They're wasn't. denying it. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe whoever it, did, uh-huh. maybe someone did it to set them up. Somebody, um, somebody suggested that to me. Like they, because it's so, you know, shoddily done, so poorly done, so poorly executed that maybe that was the, the purpose was to make it look like it was them so that, that, that somebody would figure it out and say, look at what Dan Snyder's doing. That's a possibility. It's a possibility. Definitely. Beth Wilkinson. I mean, but again, I know it. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's possible. Um, okay. Uh, but my point would be, if the intent was for somebody to find out, like Michael Phillips to find out, write about it, and so we could once again talk about the the level of incompetence. Again, that person who did that, you don't really need it. It's out. There's plenty of it out there. There's plenty of anti Dan Snyder sentiment out there. You don't have to be creative. It's all, it's 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 all organic. It's all happening on its own. No manufacturing necessary. Hey, um, let me ask you a question. Yes. Was it, was Beth Wilkins's, was it her, her onus to decide what he should do with the team? I think these investigations, make a report. I think these investigations usually include a conclusion and a recommendation. I could be wrong about that, but I think that that it usually involves conclusions and recommendations or, or Cooley, maybe. You know, there's a scope in which, you know, the league... Remember, Dan Snyder hired Beth Wilkinson to do it on his behalf, and then the league took it over, right? So... um, But that also was, like, option F. Yeah, well, I mean... Like, we got to do... We have to do something. Yeah, no, 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 you have to do something. Like when an NCAA team turns themselves in for recruiting violations. (laughs) Like, we're going to get caught here. Yeah. So, let's turn ourselves in and... No, they, they, blame some of the blame. One hundred percent. They needed to at least, you know, create the appearance that they are doing something about all these awful things that have taken place in the organization for so long. But you know, Beth Wilkinson is, you know, Tommy's skeptical about it being a league-run investigation. You asked earlier about whether or not it'll be made public. That's a big story right now about you know many of the many women want to ensure that it's made public and then there's also the issue of how many women you know were interviewed on the condition that their their their, their interview would be 
um, kept uh, kept private. Well, you can Jane Doe those people. I was I had a I had an attorney that's dealt in a lot of those things reach out to me and and say look they really can't stop they can they can say either this is a, a private reporter I'm not going to be interviewed which is fine but if they are interviewed really what they can ask for is to be non-identified and you basically turn them into like a you know into an, a person on you know that we whose name can't be revealed who asked for anonymity. Um, but you would still get what that person said. You would still get what that person claimed. Bottom line is, I have no idea what's in the Wilkinson investigation. No idea. Um, but if it is true, and I do believe that there's more likely than not truth to the junkies report, that she's pissed about the obstruction and about sort of a cover-up, um, you know, like Tommy and I talked about the other day, go back and listen to, to Tommy's thoughts on it. Cause I think they were spot on a lot of them. Um, the cover up is all, you know, typically is what gets you, you know, sometimes it's worse than the actual, you know, crime itself. Hey, um, a couple of other things to finish up the show, uh, Terps related, also NBA all-star related and Cooley. There's a new rule that the Ravens propose that I need to pitch to you. I bet you haven't seen it yet. We'll do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So the NBA All-Star Game was last night. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I watched the whole thing. I was watching the Maryland game, which I'll give you a few more comments on here in a moment. But um, at the end of the first half, and I asked Cooley to watch it, at the end of the first half, Team LeBron um, with Steph Curry and Dame Lillard, both on that team, finished off the first half with Dame Lillard shooting a half-court shot with 21 seconds left and draining it. And then Steph Curry coming back and draining a half-court shot with like two seconds left in the half. Now, we've seen these guys hit bombs before. It, it, that was insane, wasn't it, Cooley? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. They scored 100 points in the first half. The All-Star Games format, if you haven't followed it, and most of you probably haven't, they do like these quarter things, but then there's a, a running score of what's going on, and then in the fourth quarter they play to a number. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Bottom line is, at the end of the first half, a half in which Team LeBron scored 100 points in the half, and Team Durant scored 80. Um, Damian Lillard makes a you know one-foot inside half-court uh, jump shot, and then Steph Curry does the same thing with a couple of seconds left in, in the first half. So what I wanted to say about this is – that first of all, to me, this is really cool to watch. Uh, first of all, the game itself, at least what I watched, I mean, it's the least amount of defense ever played. The least, it was basically an exhibition, a globe, a globetrotters exhibition for all intents and purposes. Um, and they didn't want to play it. I'm glad they did. And for the league, they needed the money. They needed the night. Anyway, so um, t- 15 years ago, Cooley, 20 years ago. 
Tommy and I have gotten into this conversation before. I don't know if you and I have. I've gotten into this conversation with people like Gary Williams and other people before. Yeah, I know the conversation. The shooting is so incredible now compared to the way it used to be. Now, there used to be great pure shooters, don't get me wrong, and maybe just as good in terms of pure shooters, strokes, the whole thing. But what's changed is how far back from the three-point line today's game goes and it changes the whole geometry of the floor it changes how hard it is to defend you know when Steph Curry can pull up from 35 feet and you got to go out and pick him up at 35 or 40 feet it changes everything about how much the floor opens up it's it's just like just like the zone read game in the NFL you got to defend more field yeah, more players exactly so what you saw last night, though, was jump shots from half court. What's really, to me, it, I understand that way back when the three-pointer teams didn't shoot threes, the goal was to get the ball as close to the rim for a, what they used to call a high percentage shot. right? And now we're into you know three-point analytics in this era of shooting as many threes, and the threes keep getting deeper and deeper. And, and to me, what's really amazing to watch is that there are jump shots taken from half court. Whereas even 15 years ago, 10 years ago, a half court shot was a heave. It was chucking it. It was, you know, with the dribble running into it and just launching it, you know, as much as you could just as a prayer. Now they're normal jump shots. It's interesting because there has to be a physical ability a physical you know strength that exists that didn't exist back then curry and lillard and lebron and others shoot jump shots from half court curry's not stronger than charles barkley i understand I that i mean it's just a practice thing it is practice a them. you know what it is a practice thing it is a practice thing with arc with how it's released with how many how much more legs uh, leg you get into that shot. Um, Curry's in particular is so pretty. He actually pushes it more, even though it comes off his fingertips. But I just think it's interesting that not that long ago, a half-court shot was an absolute prayer of a shot. And now it's just Curry or Damian Lillard stepping into a normal jump shot form. <laughs> it's crazy. It's insanity. Like, what's, what's the next step? In the backcourt, like pulling up from 48 feet and shooting a jump shot? Well, Lillard shoots his with 22 seconds. I get it. It's an all-star game. Yeah, it's an all-star game. If you're watching an all-star game five years ago, you'd be like, what the hell is he doing? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What are you doing, bro? Oh, no, don't worry. I make this about every third shot. I'll tell you, that's what makes this game entertaining. There's no doubt that's what makes this game entertaining. Entertaining, in in my in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Bradley Beal led the way for the team uh, for Team Durant with 26 points. I'm happy for him. Uh, real quickly on um, the Terps loss before I get to this rule change that I just want to pitch Cooley on. See what his thoughts on uh, are on it. Um, Maryland. Blew a 16-point first half lead, a 14-point second half lead. Um, they didn't come out flat, people. You don't you don't come out flat and build a 16-point lead 
and a 14-point lead in the second half. They weren't flat. Their defense let them down down the stretch one of the first times that has happened. Offensively, Turgeon had issues in the second half. They really became very stagnant. The ball wasn't moving. Um, He went with more ISO matchups. Um, thinking that that would give them a better chance. Uh, They don't have low post options, as you know, for the most part, although Galen Smith had a couple of jump hooks in the first half. Um, They gagged. They just they flat out gagged big a big lead and lost against a team that actually is much better than you think um, they are in Penn State. They're feisty. The Northwestern game on Wednesday night, they played poorly. They deserve to lose. Last night, they didn't play poorly for a lot of the game, but they were also playing a better opponent. Um, And Penn State never stopped, never quit, and then Maryland really couldn't stop them at the end and couldn't get good shots at the end. They missed two front ends of of one-and-ones with their two best free-throw shooters, Aaron Wiggins and Eric Ayala. That hurt. That's four points that they could have had. Um, And it's a tough loss. Turgeon called it you know, one of the more difficult locker rooms he's been in in his entire career. This team was rolling. They had won five in a row. A step-back game against Northwestern in this league isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, But I think, you know, with a 16-point lead and a 14-point lead, it's that's a hard one to swallow, man. A hard one to swallow. It's hard to get swept by Penn State, no matter what Penn State's done. Penn State early in the year beat VCU. They're going to the tournament. They beat Virginia Tech. They're going to the tournament. Um, early in the year, no one was closer to upsetting Michigan than Penn State. Uh, Penn State owns wins uh, this year over Rutgers in Wisconsin and you know uh, Maryland twice now. And they've got super close losses to people like Michigan State and Ohio State. Um, They're a good team. I I know their record doesn't indicate it, but they are a good team. But Maryland should have won the game. They should have won the game, and they really – it was painful to watch, really painful because they had a chance to, you know, continue to make their way seeding wise into maybe a, a seven spot, you know, with maybe one more win in the Big Ten tournament. They avoided, uh, now they have to play Michigan State instead of playing Indiana um, in, the, in, the, uh, in the second round on Thursday. Um, it's a tough spot for them. Um, I will tell you, they're in the tournament. You know, I you, I know there. Some of you are going to send me stuff with people saying they're really on the bubble and they got to beat Michigan State. Joe Lenardi doesn't think they need to beat uh, Michigan State. They're a ten seed. They dropped one seed line. The, the the thing that people don't understand is the bubble is super soft. Is Xavier lost last week to Georgetown and Marquette? A lot of teams are losing a lot of games here. Um, and they're going to fill out the field anyway. They're going to put all. They're going to put sixty-eight teams in, even if you don't think sixty-eight teams deserve it. So, their resume is going to hold up on Selection Sunday. I feel confident about that. The bigger issue that we all talk about is Turgeon. I think he's done a good job this year. I think last night wasn't his best night. I think it wasn't the team's best night. Um, but. This was a team picked to finish 10th or 11th in the Big Ten and not make the tournament this year. This was a team that was lacking in talent. You can blame him for that. He missed out on some key transfers that would have really made this team a hell of a lot better. But I think he's gotten a lot out of this team. I think that going to the tournament, going 9-11 and 11 in the Big Ten, going to the tournament for the sixth year out of seven, um, I think he's doing a good job. Uh, but... I have been critical in the past, and I thought they got way too stagnant, and they really seemed to tighten up 
um, down the stretch, and he didn't have any of the answers. Uh, but it would not surprise me if they bounce back and play well against Michigan State, although most of you would say Izzo's going to get revenge and is going to beat him. Michigan State beat Michigan. They've beaten three top five teams in the last two weeks, and their only loss was to Maryland, Maryland. by 18. So um, that, that's not true. They beat. Uh, they lost to Michigan, too, before beating Michigan yesterday. Anyway, uh, that's it. You have anything on that? You didn't watch it. They're going to be fine. I think they're a good team. I think they're tough. I think they battle. I think that they're going to be fine. We'll see. Uh, it could be that they have two games left in the season. You know, For all of you that say it's March, he never performs in March, you're right. The results are not good enough in March. You know, I've said it to him before. Uh, but I've also enjoyed, um, you know, the last seven years of at least being in the tournament, having a swinging chance. And the bottom line is, no matter what you think, and I understand, yeah, but it didn't happen. Last year was his best team. Last year was a team capable of going to the Final Four. And if it did, we wouldn't be having any of these conversations about him. It's also possible that they could have lost in the second round last year, but not likely. I think they were definitely a second weekend team last year. Um, but, you know, let's see. I mean, I my, the one concern I have is if they lose to Michigan State on Thursday, and it wouldn't surprise me if they do, they might have to play in one of those first four games you know, to sort of get into the main draw as like one of the last four teams in. And that would be a Still shame. In. That would be a shame because a week ago after they beat Michigan State, they were trending towards a six or seven seed in the NCAA tournament. And now they're 10 in the latest Lunardi bracketology. Um, and uh, that loss last night hurt much worse than the Northwestern loss, much worse. That was really painful last night because there were multiple opportunities. They were up uh, 14 with nine minutes to go. Penn State came out, cut it to three. Maryland goes on an 11-0 run to to extend it to 14. At the under-four timeout, they come out with their best free-throw shooter, Eric Ayala, at the line for the front end of a one-and-one to give him an eight-point lead, and he misses. Eight-point lead with three-and-a-half to go is a pretty good position to be in, but he missed. They came down and scored, um, and it was a ball game, and uh, they could not get anything to go down the stretch, and they didn't they didn't run great stuff. I thought the Ayala ISO actually was good. I think that's the kind of shot I was okay with. Ayala typically is able to draw a foul in that spot or make a little, you know, six, seven, eight footer, whatever it was. It wasn't, um, you know, he's got size at six five. Just didn't get done, and then they left that guy Lundy open on the other end, which was a killer. Uh, Lundy had thirty one. He was unconscious. Uh, anyway, that's it on that. Uh, After this uh, next break, uh, we will finish up the show with this Baltimore Ravens proposal. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. 
At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I talked about the Ravens' proposal on the overtime rule at the end of the podcast that I did with Tommy the other day, but I really wanted to talk to Cooley about it, and we'll do that to finish up the show right now. So, Cooley, I know you've, you've looked at it a little bit. It's called Spot and Choose. The Ravens have proposed this significant change to the NFL overtime where um, basically the team that wins the toss is able to pick the spot where the ball will be put into play or choose to take the ball or go on defense, whichever one they want. So if one team that wins the toss says, uh, we're going to pick the spot, it's going to be the 20-yard line, then the opponent has the choice of whether to play offense or defense to start the overtime. The point of this is to minimize the impact of the coin toss. You know, the coin toss would only be used to give the team that wins the toss the right to pick either the spot of the ball or to choose offense or defense. This is really radical in terms of an NFL rule change. I think yeah, it's, but it's got a great name. Spot and shoes? They, they branded <laughs> it really well. Okay. So what spot do you think? Spot and shoes. What do you think of it? Sounds that? great. It's interesting. So if you pick a spot on the field, so let's say you pick the 35, mm-hmm. then the other team get, gets to pick whether to play offense or defense. Yeah. So you would pick offense, right? Well, yeah. If you pick the 35, you so, take offense. Probably not going to pick the 35. Yeah. It's going to end up being – but people are going to figure out the exact spot to pick and what to do most of the time. It really right. It's essentially going to be like someone's going to just say, "We want this spot. This is the best spot to take." It's going to be different, and it's going to be, I think, very different in in every game. And I'll and I'll give you a couple of examples. Let's say you're playing the Chiefs or you're playing the Packers. Okay, first of all, there's no way you want to give Mahomes or Rodgers the ball to start overtime where they could score a touchdown and end overtime, right? Um, unless you think giving them the ball at their own one-yard line is something that they can't do, that they can't go 99 yards. But the problem with, with, with picking the one-yard line or the five-yard line is they may choose to go on defense first. So if you're, if you're playing Kansas City, I think no matter what, you take the ball. Because even if you pick the one-yard line, Mahomes can take them 99 yards. Right to, to to end the game, so mm-hmm. you take the ball, and then you know what? If you take the ball, the other team's going to start you at the one yard line. They're going to say, "All right, your own one yard line. Have at it." It's if you're playing a really bad def, uh, offensive team, and it's ten to ten, and you're in overtime, and you haven't scored much either, and you choose defense, um, and then they choose. I mean, you choose offense, then what, where are they going to choose? They're going to choose the one-yard line. If you choose defense, where are they going to choose? I, I mean, if you're playing a real bad defensive team, you probably want to give them the ball. I don't 
There's so much to think about here. I think here. it's too busy. It's very busy. I think it's too busy to just immediately integrate. It's not going to pass, I don't think. I mean, I guess to some extent, it's like you're sitting at a blackjack table with a 16 and you got to choose whether you're hitting well, or stay. Seen no, a lot of 10s out. No, it's not. Probably because one, or, one is absolute in terms of what the right strategy is. There's no context to ball or not take the ball. It's so just um, so I understand this. If you win the toss, you can pick the, the ball, offense or defense, or you can pick the spot. Right. right? You can pick where the ball starts, and or then the other team gets you, the to select offense or defense, or you can select offense or defense, and then the other team picks the spot. So I'm going to put the ball on the 15. You got to take the ball, essentially. Unless your offense is terrible and your defense is great. Like if I'm, if I give you the ball on the, oh, let's even call it the 18 inside the 20. Yeah. You have to take the ball, correct? You don't have to take the ball. No. What do you do? You don't have to, if, if, if you. So if I say 18, you're like, okay, we'll play defense first. You take the ball on the 18. Yeah, exactly. You, you got to put choice. the ball inside the 50, right? Uh, I haven't seen the parameters there, but obviously you can't choose defense and have the other team then start at your one-yard line, obviously. Um, I haven't seen – that's a really good point. I've not seen what the other part of the rule is, but that makes sense, right? Because if you choose rather than spot and you choose defense, well, the other team is then going to get offense. They're not going to say – Oh, we're going to start at your one-yard line. I think you have to choose the – if you win the toss, you choose the spot of the ball. The other team chooses offense or defense. Because if you were to just come out and choose offense, then I'm putting you on the one. No, you get – yeah, that's why there has to be some limitation on, you know, the, the part of the field that you can choose. Well, yeah, but you – I mean – No, it, here it is. I think you – No, the, here, the explanation, okay – the explanation of spot and choose is one team picks the spot of the ball and the other team chooses to play offense or defense. Yeah. If so you, one, you, so if you, you don't pick offense first, it's spot. No, if you win the toss, you choose. get to pick spot or choose. You get to choose offense, defense, so or pick dumb. the spot. I'm sorry. This is so dumb. Yeah. The rest of it, by the way, touchdown first drive, you know, field goal extends, 10 minutes stays the same. But no, to, to your, to your, you're right. There has to be, and I haven't seen this, like I'd like to really read through it. I probably should have. There has to be a limitate. There has to be a range on the spot. You know, it's got to be like from the 10 to the 35 or something like that. Your own can't start in the other team's territory after you've chosen defense. Right. It's believed that the break-even point would be the 13-yard line. For the 14 or beyond, the team choosing offense or defense will more likely take the ball. For the 12 or closer, the team choosing offense or defense will be more likely to opt to defend. Obviously, however, the final decision will hinge on a variety of factors regarding offensive and defensive personnel, weather conditions, range and accuracy, the kickers of both teams, etc. Anyway, whatever. Are we done for the day? I don't like it.
What's the other option? Here's the other option. There's another one that says the team a team would take the ball with seven minutes and thirty seconds. There's no sudden death component. Oh God. So you have a seven minute thirty second overtime with no sudden death component. Right. Well, that's just, stupid because then if you out. got the ball, you're just going to run the ball. And... Well, this is the ten minute thing I, that I've I've suggested before. I'd move it back to fifteen minutes. You can have a drive, and we've seen this. That's seven and a half minutes, and then you get held to a field goal. You know, you get stopped at the two yard line. You kick a nineteen yard field goal, and it's you know twenty to seventeen in overtime, and the other team gets it. But now they've only got two and a half minutes left because that that drive took you seven and a half minutes, which we see all the time. And even if you've got timeouts and even the two minute warning you know it, it's still not ample time to have a normal drive to score a touchdown to win the game that's why I'd go to 15 minutes I'd keep the rule the same I'd extend it back to 15 minutes they took five minutes off for safety reasons the bottom line is I think 85 percent of overtime games never make it beyond the 10 minute mark anyway so well I think if you wanted to keep the 10 minute rule you should have three full timeouts. Yeah, you get two in the extra session. I agree with that. If you it, want to do that, like, it, because you're saving your timeouts for the fourth quarter in a normal game, so you should be able to have it's just like another fourth quarter essentially. Except it's so you should at least have the third timeout. I agree. Uh, you know what? If they said we're not going to extend to 15 minutes, but we're going to give a third timeout. I think that that would be fair. I haven't heard anybody push back on my pushback, so I don't even think this is a league issue. You know, I just know that we see many drives in the course of a football game that end up being 17 plays, 8 minutes and 14 seconds, and yeah, the other team could start using their timeouts on defense in the event that they hold you right. to a short field goal, but the bottom line is when you get it back with two minutes or less, you don't have the same chance to score a touchdown on a normal kind of drive. Especially that, if you're Baltimore. That the other team had. Which is probably why this Baltimore is the proposal. If, like, if you're a Baltimore, a, a running-style football team, you're like, right. what am I supposed to do here with – right? Exactly. Now, Three now I'm. If I really need to run the ball, yeah. Now, what I'm in a position of doing is just trying to get into field goal range to tie the game so that it ends up in a tie. Because to go, to go eight is 75 yards after you kick it off into the end zone in a minute 49 after I burn two timeouts or two 12 left, and I'm a running team. I just don't have the same opportunity you did. And I guess the the argument would be, well, then you should have stopped them earlier. You shouldn't have let them go on an eight-minute drive, seventeen plays. Okay, but how That's about a great let's... argument? But they did. I, I think it's. <laughs> I think it's. I will say this: if you went to spot and choose, there would be a lot of question decisions here in the next couple of years. That it would be a heyday for you. <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you. It's hard for me to even fathom, you know, the the right strategies now, because. To me, in overtime, given that the first possession, if you score a touchdown, it's game over. If you've got a decent offense, I want the ball. I want the ball. But if if I'm going to get it at my own one-yard line, if that's part of the rule, 
Um, then, then you have to no, you have to pick the spot first. Just so you know, if you if you're winning the toss, you, I guess if you won the toss, could you defer so the other team had to pick the spot? So you're saying the spot has to be picked first? That well, makes yeah, sense. Well, yeah, it has to be picked first. It, it, it doesn't it, it makes sense, but that's not the way I read it. I okay. Again, I don't care if the rule says it. If I take the ball, I'm Kansas City. I still don't want the ball in the one. Right. So I have to pick the spot. Right. So if you win the toss, could you defer? So the other team must pick the spot. So then you essentially know you're going to take offense. Yeah. But then that other team's going to pick the ball backed up. I mean, so but if you defer, you can't defer it. What would you choose? What What would you choose? I'd put the ball in, depending on the team. I'd put the ball somewhere between the twenty and the five as a spot. Mm-hmm. If it's Kansas because City, because if I'm sitting there five. as a head coach and you're like, okay, do you want the ball on on the twelve yard line? Yep, I do. I I'd rather I can win with the ball. I can't win without it. There is something interesting about you know overtime when a game goes to overtime, and let's just say you lost the toss and you're kicking off, and you know somehow you kick it and they they only get the ball out or they they have a return and there's a holding and they're going to start from their own 12 you really do feel like you have an advantage like all we got to do is get a stop here we'll get the ball back in two first downs later and we're in field goal range end of game but you can't feel that good about you know facing the packers or the you know the chiefs or teams that are super explosive that you know go 88 yards and Five minutes all the time. I, I there's. I are you sure that the team that wins the toss has to pick the spot? It makes no. I'm not saying that they have to, but, but I'm, what I'm telling defer. you is, if you okay, Kevin, you mean you and I are playing. You win the toss. Take offense or defense. No, I know offense. Okay, you're on the one. Exactly, defense. Okay, I'm okay, on, I'm on the. I'm, I'm on, on the one. one. Right. So you you have to pick the spot. Yeah, and I guess deferring that if you win the toss is an option. It isn't a good one, though. No, because then they're going to pick the spot. Right. I mean, I, I mean, deferring would be fine, I guess, the way you look at it. Hey, you know what? Let's let's figure out a way that we don't get these bogus roughing the passer calls. And let's figure out a way where a defensive hold on third and 19 isn't an automatic first down. By the way, on the roughing the passer, apparently one of the proposals is that roughing the passer would be reviewable because there have been some bullshit roughing the passers, no doubt. It would be highly subjective, though. But Yeah, and it's going to be just like the pass interference where if uh, there's even a bump or a touch, the officials don't want to be wrong on that call. So they're like, yeah, no, it's still roughing. He hit it. He touched him. Yeah. No, I mean, it's the roughing the passer, I, I still believe should be egregious and called or not egregious and fined after the fact. I agree with that totally. If it's, it's, if it's an obvious like it always was, it's roughing the passer. But if a guy gets – a defensive lineman is – Falling down and get shoved into the legs. Right, can't flag that. You just then, find, find him. Let's let's go ahead and leave it as it is. And if we feel like 
watching it 100 times on Monday that he crawled into the quarterback's legs, then we'll go ahead and find the dude. All you're trying to do is eliminate it from the game. Penalizing an entire team for a lot of times accidents or minute slips that are not intent isn't taking it out of the game. It's just hurting the game. Right. So find them afterwards. They, no one wants to lose their money. So they're going to try not to do it if they're getting fined for it. Defense. They, like, well, I promise you right now, I promise you that if I fall into the passer, I'm a D lineman. I don't give a shit about the penalty. I'm like, God damn it. That's 50 grand tomorrow. yeah i don't give like obviously i don't want to hurt my team right but it's not your guys on the team are like bro that's stupid that should have been called i'm like i know it's stupid but that uh, who's paying my 50 grand right period they don't care about the penalty the penalty hurts the game it actually in my opinion glorifies the aggressiveness of it or magnifies the aggressive oh look at physical tough game Oh, man, so many things can happen to you because they're calling penalties and all these things. Let it roll. Keep it. If you determine afterwards that maybe he needs a fine, fine him. All right, one last um, idea on rules um, after I tell you real quickly. It's gearing up to be a great month for sports and by extension a great month to make some great money, extra money with my bookie. With March Madness right around the corner, my bookie's offering a shot at a share of $10,000 with the My Bracket Contest, and it's only a single dollar for entry. Plus, there's a ton of NBA action on top on tap, and they've got not one but two UFC pay-per-view cards to bet on. Regardless of your favorite player or team, you've got the choice from thousands of lines and prop bets on all major sports, and it's all in one place at my bookie. Do yourself a favor, get a head start by signing up today. Use my promo code Kevin DC, and my bookie will match your first deposit halfway up to a thousand bucks. That's free cash credited to your account instantly on top top of your deposit. The best part is you always have access to the action whether you're at home or on the go. Visit the website online or on your phone at mybookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC to grab yourself a deposit bonus. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. If you've already got a site totally worth it, take their free money. Have another place to comparison shop on point spreads and pricing, etc. Mybookie.ag. Use my promo code, please, Kevin DC. Um, you and I have talked about this a million times. Last thought: I would make defensive holding a ten-yard penalty and not an automatic first down. Period. Do the college rule. I can't stand. Nothing's more frustrating for me as a football fan, other than you know, fifteen-yard roughing the uh, you know roughing penalties or unsportsmanlike uh, you know late hit penalties that aren't. I hate that. I hate the legislation of the of the big hits out of the game. But I can't stand third and nineteen. Quarterback gets immediately pressured, dumps it into the ground. It's fourth and nineteen. They're punting, and we get a flag on a on a DB that held away from the ball when there was no chance for a completion 10 yards and now it's fourth and nine so uh, uh, third and nine that that needs to be I think that rule is way way overdue at this point yeah I think it's way overdue as well I, I see so many DBs hold every game and they they can't help themselves and they can't stop doing it and I think there's I think it's way over called in a lot of instances and I also think there are a lot. Are there are enough instances where it's missed, and it's like, 
the automatic first down is ridiculous. Some of it ends up being too subjective. Some of it's too tough. Like to give a first down on a third and 18, it's bad for the game. It's just bad for the game. It's, it's not good football to have that happen. Um, Period. I agree. So take that out. We've talked about this for the last five years. I actually, I actually think, especially if it's within five yards of the line of scrimmage, that it should be a five-yard penalty. Um, so yeah, third and third and ten, third and nine. That hold occurs within five yards of the line of scrimmage, where they're trying to jam and press and tight man-to-man coverage, and they slip and grab a bit of jersey or something happens right there. Now it's third and four. I think within five yards, it's hard to say it's a 10-yard penalty. But you can't penalty. create a situation where you give incentive to in, to a DB who's going to be badly beaten to just reach out and hold on purpose because third and four is better than getting beat for a big one. And then I guess you're saying that's that why it's ten the quarterback's yards. prerogative to throw it at that dude. Well, I just think that that's where 10 yards typically – more times than not, is going to result in the first down. But on the third and super longs that get bailed out with a with a, with a defensive hold or an illegal yeah, contact, I, that shouldn't be happening. No, it's it's happened way too much in recent years where that's so far away from the play. And I get it that it's not that it's not so far away from that official who's doing the thing he thinks he's supposed to do and and calling in a lot of yeah. times the right penalty, but. If that was not going to affect the play at all, I hate that. All right. Um, Cooley will be back this week. We are less than a week away uh, now, or just about a week away from hearing about a lot of free agent deals. So he will have, I'll have thoughts on what Washington should be thinking about, who they should be thinking about in free agency. So look forward to that later on in the week. Tommy will be with me tomorrow um have a great day everybody thanks chris see See you kev every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer put lifelock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss plus with a u.s-based restoration specialist on your team you won't have to face drained accounts fraudulent loans or other losses from identity theft alone all backed by the lifelock million dollar protection package Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.